0: 30 there. I'm going to give you a little bit more information on where we're headed. And next week, it's going to be back to the book of Acts. So we're going to go back to Acts and keep going in our series that we started a good while ago. And um, man, just continuing to see what the Lord has done in, in saving us to be the church and then sending us on mission as the church. That's the plan for next week and the weeks ahead. We left off in Acts in chapter 10, and so I want you to uh, review some of that, uh, Cornelius and whatnot, so uh, we want to go back to that text and conclude chapter 10 next week. But for this week, we're going to go to Isaiah 33, and for me, this has been just the product of, of looking for some stability. So the title today is Stability, you know, the past months, we've been, um, you know, thrown for a loop in a lot of different ways, and I, I think in my own life, I look back to at least a couple of years ago, and I'm like, man, my life has been in such turmoil as I tried to finish school, and, and we don't have to rehash all the, the difficulty of that, but for me, it was, it was causing, as I confessed to you last week, this, this measure of bitterness in me that really last year exposed it showed me this bitterness. And so my hope is that I can begin to recover from this and properly repent of these things and embrace what I need, which is the goodness of the Lord, his faithfulness. I need to be reminded of these things. And so in the month of December, I made it a point to read Isaiah and so I've been spending this time in Isaiah. And so today's sermon is just—it's me arriving at a text and saying, "Man, this really ministered to me." It's verses five and six in Isaiah 33. And so I just want to preach that to you today. And to be honest with you, uh, the, one of the most difficult tasks lately has been preparing to preach. I talked to another brother who was grieving a totally different situation. And, and he was like, man, what used to take me really just a matter of a couple of days to write a whole sermon for Sunday morning, he said, man, it's taken me, it's taken me all five days of my work week because I sit down to study and, and there's just a fog. And so for me, it's been the same thing. Uh, preparing to preach has been maybe, maybe the most difficult or one of the most difficult tasks As of late, because I sit down, it's just foggy. And I'm having a real hard time coming to a conclusion of what this means and how to apply it and what to say to you. So a lot of this is me like just, man, pleading with the Lord for some stability and he ministered to me through these verses. I want to give you some context here for Isaiah. The context is, Assyria is, is wildly powerful. They've already taken uh, the northern kingdom, and they're threatening Judah, and they come against Judah, and ultimately the Lord preserves Judah. This is around 700 B.C. In chapter uh, 28 in Isaiah, all the way through to what we're reading today, there's a series of six oracles against Assyria. And this is the sixth. This is what we're reading today as part of the sixth or- oracle. And so it's a prophetic word against Assyria. And you know, you understand what happens. Like when God is speaking a prophetic word against Assyria, the people he's already used in so many different ways, it is a way in which Judah is uplifted. Because they're seeing, okay, God is finally saying the things that need to be said Against our enemies. So, in this prophetic word against Assyria, Judah is esteemed as chosen of the Lord. Now, also in the immediate context, King Hezekiah has attempted to uh, arrange a treaty with Assyria, and that treaty was broken by Assyria. And part of his response to this treaty was we're going to seek refuge in Egypt. Chapter 31. We'll mention that. So Assyria broke the treaty, and ultimately it was God and God alone who brought the deliverance for the people of Judah. That's pretty much all the context I'm going to give you today. We're going to spend our time in these two verses, okay? Let's read Isaiah 33. I'm only going to read verses 5 and 6. The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. He will fill Zion with justice and righteousness. And he will be the stability of your times. Abundance of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. Let's pray. Father, we are asking for your help to understand this text rightly. You know I need the help. Help us understand it rightly. And apply it as you would have it under the reign of Christ, our Messiah, who is to us justice and righteousness, who is to us stability, who is our wisdom, who is all knowledge, and the one who holds all salvation. Father, help us to know these things from Isaiah's words so that we may know the one true word, Jesus. We may be conformed to him. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the title is Stability Because I Am Not Very Creative. The theme this morning, God grants his people present and future stability amid the instabilities of life. Very straightforward. God grants his people present and future stability amid the instabilities of life. Now, I want to give you from this text, and we're just walking through these two verses, I want to give you four stabilizing truths. And so my hope is that we would be able to encounter our real-life circumstances. Just think about it for a second. Think about what this week or what last week or last month or last year totally got you unstable. It got you off balance. The things that right now are weighing on your mind, the instabilities of life, and, and we're, we're going we're gonna to take those and we're going to review these truths so that we are not shaken by those things. That's the goal, okay? And in all of this, we don't want to make this a, like, end around uh, where we miss God, where we miss the gospel, where we miss Christ. We don't want to do that. We want to preach this in light of the revealed Christ. We want to hear it that way. But the goal would be that we would lay hold of these truths about our God, about our Savior, lay hold of these in real life circumstances which are fraught with instability. So first, stabilizing truth this morning, the Lord reigns comprehensively. The Lord reigns comprehensively. I get that from the very first line. The Lord is exalted for he dwells on high. So can I convince you to meditate upon the truth when your circumstances, when your instabilities are right in your face? Can I convince you to meditate upon the truth that the Lord reigns? The Lord reigns. If you're reading right there, you see in your Bible is capital L-O-R-D. So right there, we know that this is the proper name of God. And the exaltation of the Lord is actually something that is bound up in his proper name. All right? So when he uses his name, the Lord is his name. That name, we get it from when he revealed himself to Moses. He said, You want to know my name? My name is I am that I am. Who should I say sent me? He says, tell them that the I am has sent you. Do you realize what that means about God? When he says I am, he is saying that he is the self-consistent one. He is the self-sufficient one. He's the self-sustaining one. One, the only independent, the only truly sovereign, the only one who does good all the time. This is I am. Now, what's interesting is that uh, many uh, linguists, uh, they believe that we get the verb to be, so the Hebrew verb to be is actually derived from the name of God. He is the one who does not depend on anyone else. He is self-sustaining, sovereign, independent. That's wrapped up in his name. So right there, the Lord, we can stop right there and say, well, what's his name? What's his name teach us about him? It teaches us those things. But it says the Lord is exalted. So we could say he is exalted. Now, this happens by his very nature. he is over against other gods, little g gods. he is over principalities and powers. I was reading about this exaltation, and I came across uh, a story about uh, the the prime minister in, Com- in Cambodia some years ago he He wanted to change his title to uh, to this. This is how it would uh This is how it would translate properly. Lord Prime Minister and Supreme Military Commander. All right? Can you imagine? This is is my new title. More literally, this is how it reads, and I really like this. Princely, exalted, supreme, great commander of gloriously victorious troops. Do you see what's happening here? This man has taken, basically, his status, which was given to him by an election of some kind in a parliament in Cambodia. And he has has taken this and he has exalted himself to a place that really was given to him by somebody else. You see the difference about God? God. He is exalted over his creatures because he has always been and by his very nature and status obtains that spot of exaltation. He's exalted over his creatures. He's exalted over the works of his hands, over every nation, every scheme, every event in your life. He's exalted over that. Every single circumstance we encounter, and we can say with Exodus 15, 11, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? And so as the exalted one, the, the truly sovereign one, his reach does not stop and his knowledge has no end. And so one theologian, Abraham Kuyper, he said, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. He is exalted. There's also a flip side of this, and we want to make sure we understand this rightly. He is exalted, but as the word calls us to, we must exalt him. Now, this doesn't mean that, that he's only exalted when we make him exalted. Here's how it works out. Like, we, we have used the language. Y'all have heard it, and it's, we understand what people mean. But let's take it for face value. When we say things like, you come to Jesus and make him the Lord of your life, it almost has an assumption in it that says that he's not already Lord. So understand that he is exalted, he is Lord by his very nature, but in the sense that we must exalt him, we have a response to his exalted status. No, you don't make Jesus the Lord, you actually just come under his reign and stop rebelling and running from him. We surrender our demands to run things. That we insist on being God. That we see ourselves as the exalted ones over our own lives. And so we come to him. It is giving up that rebellion. It is gladly submitting ourselves to his lordship. It is that life-changing confession, Jesus is Lord. By which no one can say this without the help of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is Lord. Outside of his lordship, we're just living the lie that we have control and we have good ideas about life and morality and purpose, whatever else you can think of. We're just living that lie. No, he is Lord. Now submit to him. Exalt him as Lord. Now even without the verses that follow, this first stabilizing truth. It ought to be a comfort to God's people. It gives the security and the confidence that we need automatically. your one commentator, he says, uh, he calls this, actually, these verses here, he calls this an uprising of the Lord, which produced excitement among the people and astonishment among the nation. So we can stop right here and say, the Lord is exalted and you could remember this stabilizing truth and it ought to give you comfort, Christian, because he's in control. Can I convince you to take your thoughts captive in Christ, to abound in the truth that the Lord reigns comprehensively? Second, second stabilizing truth. Let me get a sip. Second stabilizing truth. The Lord promises assuredly. The Lord promises assuredly. You continue there. The Lord is exalted for he dwells on high. That's really a repetition there. He will fill Zion with justice and righteousness. He will fill Zion with justice and righteousness. Now, in the process of these events uh, with Assyria and Judah, God proved that he was in control when Assyria was turned away. Ultimately, he got involved. And there was no explanation besides the intervention of a wonderfully sovereign God, a God who promises and always delivers. The other side of his promise ensures his people this future of justice and righteousness. Now when we read Zion here this is a reference to the people of God, to Jerusalem, but it also has application for us in heaven and the new Jerusalem. So when we read about Zion, we are getting at least some hints of the new Jerusalem. We are we are getting some hints of what is to come even for us. So the Lord promises assuredly, and his promise right here, he will fill Zion with justice and righteousness. In our present state, we look at these things and we say, no, there's not righteousness and there's, there's not justice. And for the people of God in this situation, they would look around and see the power of the Assyrians and they would say, no, we don't see it all right now, but God has given us this promise. And those who would believe embraced the promise and were stabilized by it. You know, in text messaging these days, we use abbreviations, you know, B-T-W, by the way, Uh, L-O-L, of course, you don't really do that anymore, you got emojis, which is one that we use, you see it a lot on uh, social media groups, people asking a question, they're in need of something, they'll type T-I-A, you know what that is, thanks in advance, Thanks in advance. And so people will use this TIA to thank someone for something that they haven't done yet, but that they know they're going to do. Really, this is our response to the promises of God, isn't it? Thank you in advance. Worship you in advance. Praise you in advance. Because We serve the only God whose actions are done before they happen. Let me explain that. We serve and we worship a God who is exalted over time and not subject to it. So when we're looking throughout the the, the course of history, God sees all of it at one time as one single event. See, we don't even, we can't even comprehend the knowledge of God in these things. So when he says, I will fill Zion with justice and righteousness, it's as good as done. Thanks in advance, God. It means that God is the only one who has a sure word. It means only he can be trusted completely and absolutely. Only he knows the beginning from the end, the alpha and omega. Only he can take an Abraham who says, hey wife, tell him, tell him that you're my sister so everything's going to be okay and make that guy the father of our faith. Only he can break through the Hagar shortcut and show himself to be the promise keeper. Only he can take... Worldly people wanting the reign of an earthly king and make them know that he was the only king that they ever needed. And that's just a few examples, but he promises assuredly and he delivers every time. So thank him in advance for a future filled with justice, righteousness, the Lord promises assuredly. Thirdly, third stabilizing truth, the Lord provides generously. The Lord provides generously. You see in verse 6, Isaiah 33, 6, and he will be the stability of your times, abundance of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. He will be the stability of your times. Now get this, in its complete fulfillment, times speaks to the future consummation of all things. Now there was an immediate fulfillment in that he turned away Assyria. And that gave them a foretaste of what it would be like. But the complete fulfillment is the consummation of all things when everything comes under the reign or dominion of Christ in in our visibility. Remember, Hebrews says, right now, we don't see everything as under that rain, but it's coming because he is working it toward that. So, we don't want to miss, though, this immediate blessing upon the people of God here and upon us as we read and hear its truths, the blessings that this text is absolutely intended to reveal. (laughs) The sure promises, as we've just talked about, they expand our faith With it expands our faith right now. and it builds our hope up. So the Lord provides generously. He becomes our stability, our salvation, wisdom and knowledge. So' we're, we're a well, we're well- aware. That's a tough one. Need more water today? well aware of the instabilities of circumstances and how they reveal our lack of control. We could, we could talk about all the things that, that we see and experience in the world. Evil perpetrated, injustices multiplied, uncertainty even in your own heart and mind. That can we be honest, uncertainty that eats away at you maybe even opposition in your life that, that comes in your life and causes you to slip, or we could say the surprises that shake your life. But how are we going to respond to these things? How are we to respond? Do we reach out for some steadiness only to find that we're standing on the quicksand of godless solutions? You know, there's many things waiting outside your door to sell you stability. They'll claim to provide what only the Lord can provide. They'll claim that stability, but they're selling you a bill of goods. It's posturing to fool you. It's a mirage or a a facade. It's that, that broken cistern that doesn't hold water, you're going to get to the end of it and realize you never should have gone there. And this is what happens with the people of Judah. As I mentioned, they made this treaty with Assyria. Back in chapter 31 and verse 1, uh, God begins to speak to them about this treaty and how they're seeking safety from mankind seeking safety in mankind. Chapter 31 and 1, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many, and in horsemen because they are very strong, but do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. For them it was human kings, it was human armies, it was treaties, it was horses and chariots, but how does that apply in your life? God has given you this promise. He has provided everything you need. We've just been studying in 2 Peter. He's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. We just prayed earlier. God has given us everything that we need, could ever want in Christ. He provides generously. And yet we still find ourselves grasping onto the if we can say the horses and the chariots in our lives. Oh, if I just have this sense of stability, this sense of security, all the while revealing our faith is not ultimately in a sovereign God who fulfills his promises. But he reminds us, and we may be stabilized by the fact that he is our stability. He is our salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. So, the stability comes to us now in God's abundant supply of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. I hope you're seeing the connection there. He gives us the stability. It comes to us in these ways, salvation, wisdom, knowledge. The word abundance there calls to our attention God's endless storehouses. And I know you've been either on one of those massive farms or, uh, you know, one, one of those places where they store corn or cotton, and it, and it feels like there is just endless amounts of corn here. There's endless amounts of cotton here. As far as you can see, piles and piles. You look inside the silos. It is endless. It's kind of the picture here. This is God's storehouses. You remember, as we quoted recently from Malachi, he, he challenged him and said, see if I don't open the storehouses. Of heaven. This is what we're talking about here. When we see abundance, it's those storehouses. The pulpit commentary says this is God's constancy of his provision. It's the generosity with which he gives these things. And you know the promise from the word. You ask for wisdom from God. And what does he do? He gives it generously. I'll challenge you. When's the last time you asked God for wisdom? God, give me wisdom. That's exactly what Solomon did. He prayed for wisdom when he could have asked for anything else. But he knew, Proverbs 9:10, that the Lord, the fear of the Lord, is the beginning of wisdom. And we could fast forward to Colossians 1:28. Paul saying to the Colossians, him we proclaim, Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So we see wisdom prophesied in the Old Testament, wisdom fulfilled in Christ. We also see knowledge. Habakkuk 2.14 For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's what the word tells us will happen. Colossians 2, 3 shows us that our destination is to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Look, it's worth a sermon, Colossians 2, 3. To reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Doesn't it, when we read and we hear verses like that, doesn't it just strike us how absolutely foolish and ludicrous it is to seek for these things elsewhere? Wisdom is in him. Knowledge is in him. And then salvation. Isaiah 12, 2. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and I will not be afraid. That sounds like somebody who is stable, doesn't it? I will trust. And I will not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. And then we read in Acts chapter 4, there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Salvation prophesied, salvation delivered because God keeps his promises. And I feel like I need to say it again. There's no limit to the wisdom that he gives. There's no stop to the knowledge that is found in him. There's no exhausting the salvation that God has wrought through his son in his sinless life in his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. God has provided everything. Your salvation is accomplished, believer. Your salvation is accomplished. Fourth, stabilizing truth. Fourth stabilizing truth, the Lord welcomes graciously. The Lord welcomes graciously. Now you're probably like, where'd you get that from the text? I think that final phrase, the fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. The fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. Now, some of your versions may read his treasure. That's a better rendering. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. The problem is that some interpreters don't know what what Isaiah is referring to when he says his. So, Certain versions of the Bible will attach that to a, uh, you ready for some grammar? The antecedent. They'll assign an antecedent. Now, we read this and we say, the fear of the Lord is his treasure. So whose treasure? Is it the Lord's treasure? Is it Zion's treasure? And the idea that commentators have come to is that the fear of the Lord is a treasure of the Lord that is given to Zion, that is given to the people of God. So the fear of the Lord is key right here in the knowledge of God. The fear of the Lord is our way in to understand the stability, the salvation, the wisdom, the knowledge that is found in him. You won't ever come to the knowledge of God's knowledge or to his wisdom or have his salvation if you have not first come to a place of fearing God. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. Now, there's a biblical kind of fear, okay, that we want to talk about as believers. Now, this is different from a fear that an unbeliever would have. Because the fear that an unbeliever would have is pure terror. It is fright at the holiness of God. That if these Christians are right about what they're saying about God, then that means the absolute worst for me. It's that kind of terror for the unbeliever. But for the believer, the fear of the Lord is something that is very balanced. It gives us the weightiness of God's holiness and judgment. It causes us to reverence him, to respect him. And so, as you've heard me refer to before, you know, this language like Jesus is my homeboy or like God is my buddy, okay, that doesn't quite do it justice, no, Now we have this weightiness of God's holiness, his judgment, his righteousness, but at the same time, we also receive in the fear of God a welcome into his kingdom wherein we worship him and we know him. Hebrews 12, 28 and 29, you've heard it a lot from, from me. Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That's stability. You come into that kingdom, you're stable, you're secure. Let's be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. God's relationship with his people brings them to the proper place of fear we can really say the the phrase fear of God is in some ways parallel to salvation. Nobody has salvation without having the fear of God. Now think about fear and the way that God relates to his children as opposed to those who are not his children. As a father, I have no expectations upon all the children of the world to have a healthy, balanced fear of me. Those children that are not my children, not worried about them. But you know, I do expect, I do expect my own children to develop a balanced, healthy fear, a respect, some kind of, if I can use this word, some kind of reverence, For me as their father. There is a unique expectation upon my children that I do not put upon the children of the world. Now when it comes to God, God designed it this way, really in the family, to be a faint reflection of the way he is to be feared as father. He makes sure that his children are coming to that right kind of fear. The fear that avails them to all of who he is. Now, the the word here, the fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. And this is where we get to that, right? Whose exactly is it? Proverbs 10.22 says, The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. I want to ask you a question, though. What kind of riches should we desire? Where is our true treasure found? And certainly not in the the, the things subject to human measurements. You can ask anybody in the world their idea of what is treasure to be had. But all of those things are unstable. You want to put your treasure in the stock market? You want to put your treasure in the housing market? We've all seen what happens to those things. They are wildly unstable. The verse implies that with human treasures, those things that we would typically identify as riches or treasure for for us, the verse implies that with human treasures comes more sorrow. But the kind of riches the Lord provides does not come with more sorrow. Proverbs 15, 16, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Do you see how we're starting to distinguish treasure in the economy of God versus the treasure that we typically look for as humans? The treasure we receive from the Lord in the fear of him leads us to safety, it leads us to security, it leads us to Stability. Now as it reads this treasure, it reads the fear of the Lord is not something that we simply create for ourselves. That's the, when it talks about how this is his treasure, so it's a treasure that belongs to God that he is giving to his people. So the fear of the Lord is actually a gift in this context. So it's not something that we just come up with like me and you can sit down and really just start to fear God. I just feel like I'm I'm fearing God. No, that's not the case. It's something that is given as a gift by God. He grants us the fear of him. So the question here is not, would you develop a proper fear of God? The question is, is God's word speaking to you and creating in you a right fear of him? He grants this. He gives this. And if that's the case for you, as we conclude, declare that to us. Declare to us that you're willing, you're ready to follow Jesus, to surrender to him. He'll welcome you graciously. And until you do, you're vulnerable to the enemy's sway. You're subject to the prince of the power of the air. Now it may be that like right here you could do a bit of examination. Okay, I'm somebody that claims to know Jesus but does my life really show my fear of the Lord? Would somebody come to my life and watch me live my life and say this is is a man or this is a woman that fears God? Or would they say Man, they got a lot of outward stability. Maybe they're confident. They're just confident in the wrong things. Maybe they're rich. They're just rich in the wrong things. Maybe they got it together, but they got all the wrong things together. There's no fear of God. Would that be what they say about your life? For the believer... As we come to our time of response says our our dear brother Sam Henderson he was in the office this week we got to talk about this text he said the fear of the Lord is a sanctifying grace from the hand of God you consider that the fear of the Lord is certainly a measure of God's grace and it makes us more like Jesus it completes us It brings us to that confirmation to Christ. Like the the remnant, the people in Isaiah's day, God's actions have purpose to bring us to a better understanding of him. And that is the true fear of the Lord. So would today you call upon the Lord in the fear of him, And obtain, maybe for the first time, salvation. Obtain knowledge, wisdom from God. Or believer, maybe you have lost touch of what the fear of the Lord looks like upon your life. Would you regain that stability? Regain that salvation, the fresh understanding of salvation, endless salvation. Would you call upon him for the wisdom that you need, the knowledge that is all bound up in him? We're reaching out for stability. I don't know what this means exactly for my preaching, but I'm reaching out for it from the word. And I know he's going he's to help me find it. He's going to give it. What about your life, your circumstances? Are you going to be subject to those things? Are you going to You're going to seek that stability that comes from the Lord. The fear of him. And have it. In his son Jesus Christ. Let's respond. As we sing. I'll be available right here. Pray with me. Father. Your word truly is to us a balm. In the midst of so much chaos. And this. Uh, day of Judah, you were faithful, you reminded them, even in just a couple of verses, of what you will do and what they have. And now you've reminded us, as we look around and we see the chaos of our world, we see the chaos of our circumstances, we see the frenzy, the frantic approach that our society takes to living life, and we wonder, can there be true stability, but we know, as you have promised, Today, we can embrace that stability, that sure foundation by faith in Jesus. He is our cornerstone. He is our refuge, our rock, our strength. Let us cling to him, the one who died and rose again for us. God, and through him, make us a stable people. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.